All right, welcome to episode 90 of the Bobbycast. In with Barry Dean. Barry, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm good. Uh, I was, I had known a lot of the stuff you'd written, but I didn't know all the stuff you'd written. I never know all the stuff until I like deep down dig. But, and before we get into stuff, I didn't know you'd written this song here for uh, Ingram Michelson. Girls Chase Boys. Like, this song's yeah. a jam. <laughs> He's real good. That song's really good. And Mike D and I were talking before you came in. I was like, he wrote that song? I just, yeah. Like, I, I mean, I have this in, like, two of my playlists right now. Still. That's nice. That's nice. Thank you. So who'd you write that one with? Trent Dabbs and Ingrid Michelson. It was uh, Memorial Day weekend. And they called and said, Ingrid's coming in to write next week, but she wants to come in. In Nashville? In Nashville, come yeah. in early. And she writes with Trent Dabbs a lot and Katie Herzig and just lots of great people like that. And um, they said, would you write with her on Memorial Day weekend? And uh, everybody else was clearing out. And uh, I come from, you know, a little town. Working. Kansas, right? Yeah, I'm yeah. a working person. So, you know, must be present to win. So so I was like, yeah, let's do it. And so uh, she was not feeling well. And uh, so she uh, we started a ballad kind of thing. And uh, it wasn't really going anywhere. And so then I thought, well, let's switch it up. And, and so Trent had been... Uh, layering drums in Logic and and they were flaming like that and she said play the piano they said you play the piano so I played the and then she went and so I played that and then you know again she'd hold her stomach I think she was dealing with some esophageal things you know and I was like hey you know there's no country emergency we can write on Monday or Tuesday or no, we'll do it. And so then I would throw lines and I thought she didn't like them because we didn't know each other, you know? And, and there's always a weirdness too, when you don't know someone oh, and you're being creative, it's a, oh, vul- it's a super vulnerable place. It takes me a minute to get comfortable. Uh, and, and, and so, you know, we don't know each other at all. She's, you know, I'm probably the oldest person she's written with in a long time. And, uh, She's holding her stomach. I'm wanting to take her to a clinic. <laughs> and uh, Trent's just, you know, he's a worker. You know, he's moving around. And, and he's Mr. Energy anyway. And so then, um, so I said, well, I had this one thing about how girls chase boys, chase girls, chase boys, and how it just goes around and around and around. And I thought she didn't like it. And so then I started, I kept like, nervous, you know, so I keep throwing titles. Well, there's this other thing about how all the broken hearts still work. You know, they're still beating, they're still doing and then she literally goes, you mean like, all the broken hearts in the world still be, let's not make it harder than it has to be. And then like a, oh, something, 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 girls chase boys, chase girls. And I was like, yes, that is exactly what I mean. And uh, thinking, golly, who is this woman? And she does that. I can't do it, but that, oh, yeah, right. Her no, voice. You are doing it perfectly. <clears throat> her, I, I wouldn't know the difference. Her voice is like a Formula One car. She can go real high. And then she can go low. She can do all these things. And so then there was a question of, should we put words on it? And I was like, you know, I really kind of like it with no words. I know my job is to throw words at you, but. On the. Ah, yeah. <laughs> there was a debate on whether or not yeah. to put words there instead of the. Yeah. Ah. yeah. It says it all. I can't listen. You know, it's always you can only imagine the actor in your favorite role being that actor. So, right. you, 
So I can't <laughs> imagine what what would be there now. It probably wouldn't and be on radio. <laughs> well, there was another argument, which was, and this is what took the longest time on the song, was I thought it was the chorus, and uh, then there was a discre- you know there was a disagreement because there was a feeling of well, no, that's not the chorus, that's the verse, and so we wrote a whole nother chorus that I don't remember at all it was not the right thing and so then I said well can we go the other way can we pretend that's the chorus and it's the 80s when I was young and we start with a chorus that's like a Steven Tyler thing yeah. I, I remember Steven Tyler <laughs> Steven coming Tyler, in start with the chorus. and, and he, Steven Tyler comes in and goes hey man he was like I'm gonna tell you it was crazy cause we were sitting there and we're in the studio and we're like sweet emotion and like why don't we just start with the chorus <laughs> and it was oh, like man. sweet and he goes, people were like, what are you doing? <laughs> and I'm like, trust me. And that was like, you know, sweet emotions. Trick is there ain't no trick. <laughs> yeah, that's what he said. He was like, we just went simple with it. Just simple. Yeah, just here it is. This is the part you were waiting for. I'm going to give it to you right up front, you know. So, I, And again, until about five minutes ago, I know you wrote that song. And that's like, you know, I'll be honest with you. Like the music that I play on the radio, some of it I like, some of it I don't. I some of it I'm indifferent about. Yeah. And it just comes with and if anyone says they like it all, they're lying. I agree with that. Um, but I'm going to tell you, I love this song. Thank you. Yeah, I, I was just, I, I kind of geeked out a little bit. I was like, man. I, I'm so grateful for it. And it was not, again, I had no idea. I shouldn't tell this story, but I will. Uh, so we wrote it Memorial Day. And so that fall, right before CMA week, Jen and I went to Asheville, North Carolina. We'd never been there. That's my wife. And uh, so we were down there. It'd be super awkward if it wasn't my wife. <laughs> And uh, we're down there, and we'd had dinner, and we may have been overserved just slightly. We're going to a little where they play pianos, and you all sing along to Sweet Caroline. One of those things. Like and a dueling piano? Or dueling a piano, piano bar, yeah. 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 And uh, so Ingrid calls, which is not a thing that happens a lot. And she called, and, and again, we didn't know each other. We One day, that's it. And then I get this note, and she's, uh, can we talk? And she said, you know, do you think it... Is it too, I mean, because she does a lot of heavy, beautiful ballads that are really, you know, she she's not afraid. And so she was like, is it too, she was saying fun, you know, meaning frivolous, I think. And But I was like, well, you're the only artist who would worry about being fun. I mean, and, uh, and she kind of laughed and she goes, well, is Girls Chase Boys an okay title? And I only say that because I may have had some wine at dinner. I start texting her like, you know, like, Dames love guys. You know, Chacos love chicas. I just, I mean, all evening. It's a wonder she still speaks to me. And I'm texting her all these different ways. I was like, you know, I think you should play it for some fans. And if they love it, great. And if they don't, we'll write another one. That's what I said. I had no idea that it could be on pop radio or be a thing at all. But it was really wonderful. It opened up a lot of fun doors for me. Yeah, again, I just love it. I mean... I, this is on my air. This is my airplane. Why I love it. I mean, it's on my airplane list of songs I go to sleep to. It means a lot to yeah, me. Yeah, actually. Should, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Her little voice. You know, it's like, you know, uh, Chris Lindsay and Amy Mayo. You know the. And so one time years ago, this song has never been recorded. Thing. I don't even remember what it's called. But I was writing a song with uh, Chris Lindsay, and we were over at Amy Land, and. 
I can't remember the song, but there was this part where we're like singing this thing and I didn't know what the words were. And this was new to me to, to just sing whatever I wanted without knowing the words. I, I was really, um, I wrote only by myself until I signed to a deal in Nashville. So I, I literally used to write at the top of my pad when I did co-writes, make a noise. <laughs> Cause I would sit there trying to think the right answer before I said it. And, uh, and and not being willing to dare to suck and and just put it out there and it's just hard to get used to that um and so um anyway i was singing something and i went bye baby bye bye baby i'm letting you go and it made no sense i just sang it in a moment and amy was just there bringing coffee or something or you know stopping by to say hi and she goes sorry let me make this go away right here yeah. Um, is that is this somebody cool? It is. Is it Ingrid? It, it's, no, I wish it was. It's my brother. He he's really smart, and we have this side project we're doing, and uh, not musical. It's a different deal. And he uh, he loves project management software, and so he'll update the tasks, you know, and the percentage that's completed, and you know all that. That shows, that shows up on your phone. Unfortunately, I don't know how to make it not show on my phone, <laughs> and so it keeps. He's just bing 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 bing. I'm like, stop! It's Christmas. But but she said, Amy was, was like, sometimes the music says it for us. And so that person who's afraid to face their life or make a change or tell somebody what's going on. And, and that moment, she goes, you should trust that moment. Well, I'd, I didn't even live here yet. I was still coming. I just signed and was coming back and forth. And uh, But that showed up in that right that day when she went, oh, I thought that that is that thing. Is that almost like a... Silence is okay in conversation type thing. Like, yeah. not uh, not all silence is bad. No, no. It's funny, too, you bring up the vulnerability thing because I think that's a con- – and not just in creative space. We work in a creative space. That's right. But a lot of people work in group space where uh, they're problem-solving. You're coming up with ideas. You're afraid to say something because you're around people that you don't know and you don't want to. But yeah. the thing that I've learned about that is everybody else is feeling the exact same way. That's the truth. And so the feeling that I have and that you have when we're working with somebody that if I'm writing comedy or writing music or, and I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, I've never written with this person before and I don't want to say something stupid, they're probably feeling the same way. They probably are. But, but man, that's in the real, not outside our world, that's not a common thought. You know, I mean, I think uh, there's a certain element. Uh, well, I like your uh, your new book. I know that it's... Uh, Winning uh, through losing. Oh yeah, I wrote a, I did a TED talk, and I'm writing a book yeah. based on that. I mean, there's, there's, that's an, that's an upside down. We write and work in an upside down world where we get together and we're instantly going to build a bridge and discuss very true personal things. And I spent years in a corporate environment where, you know, five years in, someone will mention, oh yeah, <laughs> you know, some personal fact, you know, oh yeah, my. Well, you're facing some crisis at home or we're facing some other reality, but that's not something you talk about in a, in a corporate environment. So we're backwards. It's weird too, being in a right or being in again, a creative space where you have to get vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Even for me, like I'll say on the radio, like I, Mm -hmm. I'm terrible being vulnerable away from my job, but man, in my job, it's, I can drop all the walls because I have to to be successful. And you as a writer, you have to, yeah. And it's weird to go in front of somebody you don't know and be like, "Okay, 
Let me tell you a really heart-wrenching tale. Yeah. Here's uh, what I'm wrestling with in yeah, my own yeah, life. Yeah, yeah. I, I was talking to my therapist today about it. Give me a G chord. You know, so That's exactly right. It, it is. It is kind of a backward yeah. deal. But you've done. So I guess we can kind of start. Uh, let me just mention before I know we'll get around to some of this stuff because I don't always like just talking about song specifically. But uh, well, you, you let's see. You wrote pontoons. On the pontoon. <laughs> One of the stories. And because we've actually had the other writers in of that yeah, song I heard as well, Natalie's, yeah. that um, it, Natalie was like, you know, you know, you know, back that hitch up into the water, or whatever, but it wasn't hitch. It at wasn't first. hitch. Eric Pasley is the one who made it hitch. Uh, it, it was back that other thing. You and, can say it. Okay, you back are, that bitch in the water. Yeah. That's the first thing she said. You know, Luke started going, "Come on, girl." She was like, "We're not doing this." Come on, girl. And she goes, "I would say, back this bitch up into the water." And we screamed with laughter. Well, Pasley, as I understand it, I wasn't there. Is the one who said you should say Hitch when they need the radio edit, to Natalie. So Eric is not a writer on the song. He just heard He's it and not. was like, hey, you should. You no, should. he just said it to Natalie. And I didn't know that till long after. 25%. Yeah, he it. should. Jed Hughes played the riff with Jay Joyce, and that's so wonderful. And I was watching a little big town at a charity event. We did a you know, microphone. We did a, um, I didn't do it. I went to a charity event. and uh, you, I, So... I live in Nashville, but I used to live in Brentwood. I don't know what part mm-hmm. of town you live. I live down in Brent. Well, you know Sneed Road and Hillsboro. So it's considered Franklin, but it's not anywhere. It's really Brentwood. So, okay, maybe you'll know the house I'm talking about. Down in Brentwood, you get off of Concord. And for uh-huh. those that are all over, just, just, just follow me on this. There's this humongous house. Across right? from Governor's Club, yes, kind I, of. So I used to live in Governor's Club. And I would always see this humongous house. And... I was like, I don't know. It's like a sound of music kind of house. It's a monster. (laughs) So I went to a charity event at this house. And it's uh, a couple jewelers lived there. They were very nice. Yeah, with the minks. Yes, they were very sunglasses, very kind gentlemen. I didn't get to spend a lot of time with them because it was a a charity event for for an Alzheimer's um, event. And uh, Kimberly Paisley was there. Her mom dealt with Alzheimer's. But we're there and uh, Little Big Town was playing. And so... They, it was, you know, it's a, it's a, I get to do things now because of my job that I normally wouldn't get to do. And I'm sitting, there are probably a hundred people in the room and they're, mm-hmm. you know, playing the song and they come out and they start playing pontoon. All and all I can think about the entire song is that Hitch was changed. Like that's all, <laughs> I'm telling Ruined you, I'm the in moment. this, oh, yeah, the whole show, the whole everything. That's funny. And I should be like. And I was. And it was an awesome event, and a lot of money was raised. But yeah. all I could think of was like they changed it, they to, hitch. Changed it to hitch. They changed it to hitch. Yeah. That's all I can ever think about. What's funny is Natalie will change it to hitch, but then she'll tell the story about buying the pontoon and won't change the word there. You're like, well, if, if you're going to say that, you may as well go and say it how you wrote it. When she but, did this show, because she came by, it's been a few months now. She was talking about how she was buying a boat, mm-hmm. and then the, and that song was playing, and the guy was like, I hate this song. <laughs> And she, would just, she just said it just kept her mouth shut she wouldn't play it at first you know we would play these shows with me and Luke and her we'd play these bluebird things and she wouldn't want to She, you know she loves a little big town and everything but, but she it, I think because it was so it's a fun light song you did know? you think that song again because the first time I heard it I was like this song's really goofy yeah. I thought I said this song's really goofy, and yeah. I don't know if it. I don't know if goofy. It's not so goofy now because we know it. It's right. it's like when you you know ah that now is normal to us because we've normal. heard it so many That's times. That's right. So pontoon's not that goofy to me anymore. And a lot of it's Jay Joyce's production in Little Big Town. If that had been cut a different way, 
you know, that would have been super goofy. Could Did you feel when you finished writing it, it, it ever had a chance to have legs to be anything? I didn't think it would do what it did. I thought, I thought it might get cut. Natalie and Luke were already having singles, you know, start to, to take off and do things, especially Luke. And so I thought, I remember we, we started it and it was seven months before we finished it because we wrote just the first little bit and then stopped. You get uh, hung on Hitch. We're like, we can't figure out what to replace Hitch <laughs> what with comes after for Hitch? seven months. So Natalie Natalie had a thing she had to do and getting our calendars back together and all that. And then we got back together. It was right around Luke's birthday. So she came over and we gave By him By the way, this. if everybody wanted Luke, you're not talking about Luke Bryan. No, I'm sorry. Luke Laird. Luke Laird, who's also been on the, over here too. That's yes. right. So for any uh-huh. Luke references, Luke Laird. Yeah. So And so he, I came home after we wrote it and was laughing. I told my wife, I said, you know, I don't know what to make of this thing. It's so much, so funny, but you know, I don't know. But Natalie and Luke have a lot of attention right now. Maybe something will happen. Never occurred to me that it would be such a big deal for me. It was my so, first number one. That's a thing too, where if you're in the room at the time with Natalie and Luke, they're having success. They're not writing a lot of songs that aren't at least getting looked at. That's right. So you know, in that room that what you write at least is going to get a bigger look than if you were writing with a couple of other writer, writers who weren't as hot at the time. That's right. Oh, yeah, no question. And if Luke and Natalie were here, they'd be horrified by this whole conversation. But you and I know it's absolutely true. You, uh, of course, If you're in the yes. room with Rodney Clawson, there's a pretty good chance that people are going to listen to Rodney Clawson. Somebody's going to listen to Rodney's song. Yeah, they might want to take a listen to that. Yeah, and uh, and I, I think that's... Uh, a pretty good deal. A pontoon. On the pontoon. It's funny to have three people talking about the song because we got three different, three of the same stories, but all from a different, slightly different angle. Yeah, we did a CMA thing, um, and uh, they we on tape, you know, and they interviewed us over at uh, Sound Emporium. And when we left, you know, we just nodded. And when we left, I said to Natalie and Luke, "Hey, before we go, we know that's not what really happened, right?" <laughs> It's like corroborating your stories before you get pulled in. So I'll just right. decide. Here's how the bank was robbed. Now remember, stick to the story. Here's what we did, right? Right? Is that what we did? Say it and out so. loud. Say, it's like the movie, like, say the number back out loud. Yeah. Say the story out loud. So, okay, okay. There's a lot of that. There's a lot of that. And sometimes you'll think something and then it's not. Who, um, Pontoon, whose idea was that? You remember? Like the, the initial idea. Well, I thought that Natalie said it. Natalie said the word pontoon. And... Um, and Luke and I heard it fly across the room, and I started Googling instantly pontoon song and um, just to see, you know, what it said. And uh, and there weren't any other pontoon songs. Do you songs. do that? Like, that's the thing, right? Like, you have to make sure Sometimes, that it hasn't... You know, it's one thing if it's like, I love you, but if it's something that... I mean, the 90s happened, so pontoon seemed like... I mean, there's a watermelon crawl, so there may be a pontoon out there, you know, and I want to know about it. And uh, And again... When I'm in a room with somebody like Natalie, who's so talented, and Luke, who's so good at what he does, I don't want to waste that day. You know, I don't want to waste any day, actually. And so, um, so I, I just Googled it, and then I looked at Luke, and I went, we're clear. And he started playing that groove. And now, did Natalie have it in mind before she came in? Maybe she did. Maybe she didn't. She was telling another story about their song called Fine Tune, which is on Miranda's fourth record. And um, somebody had misheard the title and said, oh, what's that song, Pontoon? And so, anyway, however it happened, we started it, and then about seven months later, we finally finished it. They played it for Dirks, and he didn't like it. And they played it for um, Kix Brooks. Uh, Brooks and Dunn had just parted ways. And so 
kicks in a nice email saying he thought it was hilarious, but he would not record it. <laughs> and then that was really the end. And then when Creative Nation started, which is Beth and Luke, and I'm I'm over there, um, first week, first meeting, Beth's at her kitchen table. She goes, I'm going over to play songs for Jason for Little Big Town. And I think I'm going to play this. Their manager. Their Jason, manager, Jason sorry. Yeah. And, um, and she goes, how do you feel about Pontoon? I was like, that's a great idea. And so... That was what she played. And, and then after that, it was real. That's really Jason and Little Big Town and Jay Joyce and Jed Hughes on the lick. And I mean, we were pretty amazed at where it went. Look at that. There you go. Pontoon. On the pontoon. Let me talk about Blue Apron for just a second. Uh, okay, so here we go. I use Blue Apron, and I'm able to make things like, let's see, what, what did I make the other day? Uh, some butternut squash pasta with kale and brown butter walnuts. Never in my life would I be able to make that. I, mean, I can't even barely say it. Butternut squash pasta with kale and brown butter walnuts. I, I brought that up here. I wrote it down so I wouldn't forget. But I like Blue Apron because it comes right to my door. It's already pre-portioned. There's a card that tells me exactly how to make it. So you, uh, the husband, the wife, the kids, I don't know. You can make enough for everybody. Right now... Blue Apron is treating everybody that listens to the Bobby Cast to their first dinner for free or whenever you want to cook it. I guess there aren't rules. A $30 value if you visit blueapron.com slash bobbycast. So check out this week's menu. Get your 30 bucks off with free shipping. Blueapron.com slash bobbycast. Blue Apron, a uh, better way to cook. And I'm going to tell you, it's going to make your life easier and you're going to look like the greatest chef ever or cook or whatever you want to say. But I use Blue Apron, use it all the time, make crazy meals that I would never be able to make. All right, so there you go. Blueapron.com slash BobbyCast. All right, so, I mean, there's so much. And it's like what interests me are not even like the, and because you have your other number ones too, but some of these songs, like I'm such a Big Brothers fan. Like I've known those guys, you know? So you wrote Rum. Yeah. So who'd you write this with? The two boys. Yeah. So let me tell you my brother's story because I'm sure you have a wonderful story too. Like, by when it comes to people that I just enjoy, mm-hmm. like that I trust as humans, yeah. both of them. And I know I've known John closer longer, but I've gotten to know TJ a lot closer later. TJ lives like two doors down from Amy, my co-host now. And so, and Lucy Silva's is a very, is very, very close. If you don't love Lucy Silva's, you can't be my friend. Are we, this is me. We're calling Lucy, or no? No, 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 we're not. We have before, yes. We have before. So I, I was at a, um, what they call a morning show boot camp. Okay, oh. so they have these, and they, they asked me, they said, hey, will you come in and speak at a morning show boot camp? And so what it is, it's a bunch of radio people, and like nerds like myself, and in my younger days, I would have given a finger to go to this. I'm with you. Uh, but they didn't have any money, so they'd never paid for me to go, and I couldn't afford it. But it was at the point in my career where they were like, hey, would you come speak? Because I had... I'd built my own syndication company and, mm-hmm. you know, I'd risked a lot and had some fortunate things happen because of the risk. And so I'll go up and I give my story. And after I finished, they were like, hey, these two new guys are going to come and play. Nobody's ever heard of them. They're going to come play for all the radio people. And I'm like, right. all right, cool, cool, cool. And these two two guys, one, you know, kind of weirdly bearded dude and this deep, I don't know, some other dude, some other, other dude that talk, you know, talk like this. Brothers Osborne came up and they, and just an acoustic guitar. Uh, one, one used a guitar, and they came up and they. Dipping our toes. Yeah. Like and I was like, 
And these cats are good. And like nobody cared because nobody was paying attention because it no. wasn't the right environment. No. It wasn't that they weren't good because obviously they are, but it wasn't the right environment. Yeah. And, and they just wanted to get them in front of radio people. And it wasn't even country. It was like 15% country people. Wow. You know, 30% pop. Uh, hot AC. It was just everyone. And nobody cared. Oh, yeah. And I remember going, man, those guys are good. <laughs> Yeah, they're good. They're they're. I love them. And uh, my so does my wife. And she was she loves his voice, TJ's voice. And I knew John first because he was kind of a, he was around first. He was around in a band, but I really knew him through Lucy because I met Lucy. I think she said that I was one of the first people she met in Nashville. And I know I introduced her to Busby and several other people. And and then she and John were trying to figure out if they were going to date, and then they were. And and so so then through them I met TJ. And, the so. the John John and Charlie Warsham were in the same band for a while. Yeah, and no one could figure out what to do with that. And just think about that too. It was. Just, <laughs> it's like the Chris Stapletons and the John Singletons, and the, it's crazy. Just like, wait, you me. didn't know what to do with that. <laughs> it was almost too good for people to understand. It confuses them a little bit. Like, like, whoa, this can't. I don't know what this is. It's too. It's like it's like two fireworks was happening at the same time. So you don't know what to, you don't want to look at both of them. So you just lower your head. That's right. Well, yeah, which is wild. So you wrote rum with, with these fellas. Yes, all yes. one chord. On, it's one chord all the way through. They're, they're doing, because they're so musical, they're doing different in, things over it and inversions. But basically, you could strum... Which what, chord? Because maybe I'd like to play Like this. a D. Like a, or whatever the, the root chord is, they may be in D sharp. Or, but if you play an open D through that, or whatever the one chord is, you can play it through the whole song. You would never know it. You could use words there. You should put words there. You should put of, words mm, there. Yeah. What, what are you thinking? Put I words don't know. In there instead of like, mm, mm, that would have taken it on up. Yeah. You know? Dang. So that was not a number one, but it was. It was their introduction. It helped them get to that. They'd had one single before that didn't do well. Yeah. What was the song before that? I can't remember. I was trying to think of it. I was afraid you were going to ask. Uh, well, you were right. You feared the right, right thing. I feared the right yes. thing. Rom was really the first one that where they were like actually getting. Traction. Some real like oh wait there may be something to these guys yeah and it, and even then I mean it's taken uh, even it ain't my fault was it it just hit ten that's it's it crazy. and crazy. they are so good they're winning all the awards and they're yeah. they're critically crushing it's like Marin for example yeah, she doesn't have a number one is that right that she no my church was not a number one what? yeah how about that wow but it doesn't matter that's true of old rock and roll you know like oh old, you yeah yeah like Aerosmith I'll go back to see Aerosmith it was like Aerosmith didn't have a number one and I could be wrong about which one it is but there's like they didn't have a number one until freaking Armageddon that's so crazy so I don't want to miss a thing you're talking about rock and roll hall of fame but not hilarious. number one yeah and they were together yeah. so yes there's this thing right where there's, yes and so yeah. and, and brothers they're in that thing now yeah, they're good. Everybody loves them. They're winning all the awards. When they got on the bus. Oh, and played know, the top. It was in California. I mean, they that knocked, was badass. They knocked the top of the theater <laughs> off. It crumbled in. And they were like, we're not letting this show go. For, for those who are listening and don't know the story. So, Brothers Osborne rocks hard. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're a rock and roll band. They really are. And they play country songs. They're a rock and roll band that plays country songs. Mm-hmm. So, they're, they're playing in this theater in California. And the roof crumbles in, and they have to stop the show because of all the safety hazards. <laughs> so they go, and they're like, "Everybody go outside!" And they get on top of their tour bus, and they play their show on their tour bus. It's on the roof of their tour bus. I called them, and and they're probably irritated because it was like 
four in the morning where they were because they were West Coast. That's funny. Because I had to get them on the air and talk about That's this. That's awesome. And I was like, John, you got, this is the most rock and roll thing I've seen in like the past 10 years. First of all, <laughs> caving in a roof mm-hmm. and then having kind of the wherewithal to go, you know what? How can we make this work? Yeah, this is about a show for our fans and we're going to do it. I and mean, even just the science of it, let's get higher than our – not just play it on the stairs or yeah. on the street. Let's get up where everybody can still see. There were so many levels where I was like, so good. they're next level. I love them. I mean, and, you know, TJ pretty much tell you what he thinks. Uh, TJ for sure <laughs> will tell you what he thinks. And the more he drinks, the more he thinks. Oh, yeah. The more he thinks. Yes. I love that. Yeah, that's right. I get to write with them. I think, you know, I don't know what will be on the new record, but – they let me write with them some more, so it was really good. I love we had a David nail cut together and you know, that kind of thing. And they had John and TJ on there, but not not a lot, you know, what I mean. because uh, John is ferocious. When I well, I don't know which song it was at this point. Was it Twenty One Summer? Was it maybe when we played a seven minute guitar solo on the record? Stay well, a little longer than Stay outro. a little longer. Mm-hmm. That's what it was. He played it it was I believe a seven minute guitar solo and I and I was like, man, somebody's crushing this thing. And I talked, and, and that was John. And I was it. like, oh, you play this thing like I use my hand. Yeah. And I, we were at dinner one night, and I was talking to him about just guitar. Because John does not look like a nerd now. No, he no. looks like the opposite of a nerd. Yeah, he's You know, he looks cool like guy. a cool guy who's yeah. almost too cool that you're intimidated to go talk to. Because, it's yeah, because he's in denim, and he's got this big beard. Yeah. And he's like, this guy does not Sometimes give a the hat. Yeah, the hat. And he was like, man, I was the biggest nerd. And I just sat in my room and would just play guitar all the time because I was such a nerd. Yeah. And what a way to mm. transform. When I was younger, I had a, a little poster uh, from a magazine. It was a Yamaha, I think, but I can't remember. It may have been Gibson. But it said, well, it showed a guy going on stage. It said, well, others partied, you practiced. Now it's your turn to play. And I'd never thought of that when, until I saw that. And I thought, that's what it is. You think of Prince? Same deal, you know. John Mayer, too. John Mayer. Like, he would just go in his room. Yeah. Now, there is, there's a gift, but I think we all have some sort of gift. Yeah. And it's, do we take and, and do we fine-tune that gift? And how hard do we fine-tune that gift? Yes. Because, dear God, I mean, I sat in a room and just read books. I was, I, I mean, I got the crap beat out of me my whole life. Yeah. Not, not anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm beating people up now. No, I'm not. <laughs> but that's what I did. I, I went in my room and read books and wrote. Read my, I always said, if I looked like this in high school... It would have been a completely different trajectory. I, I think I was the last human in the 80s to get their growth spurt. So my high school, I looked like, you know, the kid from Wonder Years or Doogie Hauser my whole time. And so, you know, it's just funny because now, you know, I'll say, well, you know, when you kind of feel pushed around and people kind of look at me because, you know, you can't see me, but I'm fat and older guy and, <laughs> and a gray beard. And, First uh, of all, you're not that fat and you're not that old. But uh, but but back then, a you know. Fat I mean, He's not. For If you're listening, like Google. I'm a thousand years old. You no, know, Google I, Barry D. What are you, 48, 49? 50. Thank okay. you, though. Very Same, nice. Very okay. sweet. So, but, okay, anyway. And so I can see why you do this. You're so flattering. You're yeah, yeah. Like, what are you, buck 10? <laughs> what are you, buck 10? <laughs> Nice. You're from uh, you're from you're a Kansas boy, right? Right, born in Oklahoma and raised in Pittsburgh, Kansas, kind of near Joplin, Missouri, right there in the corner. Oh, I know Joplin. Yeah, that's because yeah. in Arkansas, that's where we we go up, and you go up in that area. Yeah, but like Joplin. Though, you, did you watch Ozark at all? Yes, I did. Did that remind thing. you of home at all? Yeah, man, it reminded me of home. When too. they're driving through the town, yeah, and like the real mm. like 
and I say it like I grew up, and some people don't like the term, but I grew up really white trash. Yeah, no, I and, understand. And I just say that so people can relate to it without having to explain my circumstance. Yeah. And so when I watched the show, I related more to the people that lived there that oh. were dealing with the issues than I did the main character. Absolutely. I understood them. I understood the people that live there and have these few options. Yeah. You know, here and are my options. What, and, and none of them are good. None of them are it's good. It's like we, we have only a few options and none of them are good. Which option are we going to take? Well, I say that I'm wired up for the apocalypse. Not, But if you give me the choice between ice cream or pie, you can melt me down. Two good things, I can't handle that. Two bad things, no problem. I can do that all day. And I think that's part of that upbringing. You know, you come up tough and you come up, not tough like I'm yeah, strong. Yeah, we'll definitely both get beat up. We'd be <laughs> the worst tag team ever. We're, yeah, we know. We know to move and yes. get away. But I mean more more like you don't have a lot of things. You you stand out because you don't have the Nikes or the whatevers. You know what I mean? That was how I was. You know I mean? You know, my mom made my clothes when I was little. You know I mean? That kind of a thing. Now, I was lucky that I had that, you know I mean? But it was a different deal, you know, and than my kids know. You know? It's weird. Is it weird because I don't have any kids? And so, but... I'd like to have kids, mm-hmm. and I, like you, grew up with very little, very mm-hmm. little, very, very little. But I think, and I, you know, and I'm writing this second book now, and, and a big part of it is a lot of what, I don't even like to say endured, a lot of what I learned nice word. from being 5 to 22 has made me so strong that today I'll knock it down. Like, mm-hmm. I am... It may look tough for a second. It may be a daunting task for a minute, but that's this is nothing like that. That I learned, yeah. Like and, and I can do things I I I've learned from. So for me, like if I have kids, like I almost feel like they won't get to. I, there's this guilt. Like if I bring a kid in, like I do pretty well now. Like I'm a single guy. I got a great job. I got a national radio show. I've toured. Yeah, that's what you're it's doing pretty well. It's not the same life. Yeah, no. so, I, I, so there's already a, I don't even have kids and I feel guilty that I have kids Yeah. so you gotta have that too now you have some success how do you teach your kids to not be jerks yeah well they, fortunately they take after their mother but I think that's a great point I, we were just back visiting in Kansas not for Thanksgiving but over the summer and I had them go over and you know, do stuff with my dad and sweep the warehouse floor and do the different but things but do they get it or is it like a field trip to them I think it's a field trip for them but the other thing I would say is they they pick up from me and Jen what matters to us. And it's interesting, but they I think they notice the, what we respect and what we don't respect. I respect people that work hard. I respect people that are kind to other people. And, and Jennifer especially feels like you should be involved and help other people. And they seem to be doing that, you know. And I'm watching Luke Laird's little boys are younger than mine. And so, you know. They're already acting like their dad and their mom. So you're like, they'll probably pick it up from you. I mean, for me, what I wasn't prepared for was dealing with good. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of wired up, and I think you are too, probably just from, I've read your book. And, and, and so it sounds to me like you're kind of like similar. I'm not saying it's the same, but wired up for the long haul. You know, like, I will show up. I will be there. Oh, I will it's the only run. thing that I have. It's like, what I know, yeah. It's the only thing that I consistently have is that I will show up every time. We try to take vacations now, which is something we never did growing up. I never my my parents would take us on these business trips. My dad had to go to with a where he would show his products, you know, at a show, and he would say from the interstate, "You see those buildings over there?" 
That's downtown Dallas. Somewhere down over there is where John Kennedy was shot. And that's, you know. Or, that was how you saw that's how we saw that the, the, That's how we saw Dealey Plaza. Or those kinds of things. Right. He was he was trying to show it, but he was, you know, my mother, when he were raised in rural Oklahoma, my dad, my grandfather was a sharecropper. So they were they were culturally shifting from where they had been, you know, so. The thing about you, too, is that, like, you're a grinder. Like, not on grinder, but you're a grinder <laughs> in that... Like it took you a minute. Oh yeah. Because you moved to California first, right? To write songs out there. It's amazing. Yeah, you've really. Yeah, that's right. When I was young, eighteen years old, I've been out there. So it's like you know, at eighteen, we're almost like we have the whole world ahead of us. Oh yeah. Like who cares if we fail? Let's just go. Yeah. But you go, and I mean, it didn't work out. So you went to you went to write like. You know, top four, whatever top forty was at the time. At the time, pretty soft, but it was yeah, eighties pop. You know, and I was kind of like the worst, like Rick Astley without the credibility and importance. <laughs> and, uh, and so I went out there and I was doing that thing, and and you know, really, I ran out of brave. I don't have a bad story about L.A. I I got in with uh, the top guy at A and M, and the top. I mean, I just kept hustling, and then there was just a moment. It was Thanksgiving. It was Barney's Beanery. I was by myself, had a little brother back home, and uh, and I grew up in a, a very religious, conservative religious environment, so pursuing pop music in, in the late 80s was seen as the wide way to destruction. So it had created a big rift in the family for me to do this. Wow, really? So they yeah. were like, mm, what are you doing? Yeah, well, yeah, there was a period of time back then, I'm, I'm, I think we're through that, but where people would... Uh, you know, there was Christian music, which was not like it is now. It was more like a, there was some good Christian music. and uh, But but it was like, there's a secular band that's sure. big. Here's the Christian version of it. And um, and I went towards the pop side. And um, because that's where the door opened. It, it really, that's what it came down to. Did you get close at all? Did you feel like there, you had a, oh, man. Are you... I got pretty, I mean, I got closer than I should have. Uh, because I, I was, you know, like. I did some songs. I played them for, uh, there was a guy at uh, Capitol and there was a guy at, at A&M. And, and the A&M guy was like, do three or four more and come back. They didn't pay for them, but they... And so then I went and, and did those, but that was when I kind of ran out of... I just ran out of Brave, you know. And I so I went back home, sold all the gear. And in, in retrospect, I kind of went into the darkness a little bit, just kind of... I didn't know that, but I just sort of whatever you know my dad signed me he said if you're going to live back here for a while you're going to go to college i said pick him he picked my major and it was just it was he was great to let me come back and what did you learn when when you're back to school printing management excuse me printing management he said because there are always going to be people who need to print checks <laughs> which made sense in whatever that was 1988 or 9 and uh so i did those classes and i took music classes you know jennifer shot that wrote This Town Still Talks About You with Natalie. She's from my hometown. My wife and Jennifer shot cheerleader together. And her father was my saxophone instructor from eighth grade until college and through college. And um, so, and I didn't graduate. You know, I was never, I just was lost. I really was just lost. Then I started working at the company and and helped grow that. And, um, And there was a Christian singer, young lady, now we're in the 90s and, I'm helping run that company and doing software and video and things like that. And um, a friend of mine said, hey, there's this one singer in this Christian worship group. You should go here. I had a 
I had a video studio. We had animation studios and suites. We had all that for this education company. And um, part of that, I would buy little bits of gear that I never could afford. You know, the 90s had happened, Nirvana. So everybody was selling off their drum machines and synths. Well, those were things I couldn't have afforded back then. So, you know, I'd buy a little drum and I'd buy a synth and I had a little room. And so I went and heard this young lady. And, and um, so I helped with her independent record. Her name was Jennifer Knapp. And, uh, and so she had an album called Wishing Well, which became an album called Kansas. And it did really well. But she didn't know I wrote. I just sort of let him use my studio and came in and helped mix the indie record. And then um, somewhere in there, um, we were in town on business. I came to Nashville and I'd gotten married. And uh, we went to the Bluebird. That was amazing. I'd never been around that. Kind of helped me locate my soul again. And then we went home. And I got called to meet with another education company. Maybe it wasn't really headhunting, but it was that kind of a scenario. And I told Jennifer about it. And we'd only been married a year and a half. And she said, well, if, that, if that's your passion, you know, we should do that. And I laughed. And she goes, what? And I was like, um... Um, in my, I think it was 35. I'm not sure passion's how we should do this. You know, I got a good job in a small town. I need to be thankful for that, you know. And uh, so she kept pushing me. What, what is it that you wanted to do? What did you, and I'd never talked about going to L.A. And I mean, she knew generally I had done some music. But finally we had a conversation and I said, what I really wanted to do was be a songwriter and work in the studios. I don't really think I had the artist, the artistic like an artist personality on the stage. and uh, But I wanted to work in that field and, and write songs. I love to write songs. You're 35 at this time. 35. Now, I didn't think this was a goal to pursue. I, I was just admitting that that had been the goal. And um, it may have been a week. It could have been two or three weeks. She came in and she said, will you take me on a cruise for our second anniversary? And I said, yes, ma'am, I will. And she goes, this is the one. And Nashville Songwriters Association... They had done, they did a song cruise. It was like uh, Hugh Prestwood and, and uh, Ralph Murphy and Steve Steskin and a bunch, bunch of pro writers, Craig Wiseman. And they would, in the morning while you were having breakfast, they would talk about songwriting. And then you'd go snorkel or wreck a scooter or whatever you'd normally do on your cruise. And so that's what we did. We, and I sat in the back and took notes. I, I couldn't play the guitar yet. Um, I played piano. And I'd already heard you weren't supposed to do that. So I just sat in the back and took notes. Everybody else, you know, was kind of the person at the party that pulls out their guitar and plays songs. I wasn't that guy. And so the last day, uh, Wiseman and Prestwood came over and said, you know, we can't really tell whether you are good or you suck, but you're the only one who hasn't tried to play us a song. And so I played them a song and um, they said, you should come to town next month and start coming back and forth. And by the way, Wiseman doesn't remember this at all, but it was life-changing for me. So that just tells, <laughs> tells you the kind of impact I make when I meet someone. And uh, But I started coming back and forth, taking guitar lessons from Ellen Britton here in town and going home and practicing. And and uh, I don't know, we did that for a while. So you drove back and forth for how long? Probably a year, maybe two. And then I got signed. All this... Is- Okay, let's back up. You married your, somebody from your small from your town, and you brought her here, and she was the instrumental in you getting here. Yes, I was married once before um, when I was very young. When I came back, um, and 
when I was very young, I'm married, we had a little boy, and then I ended up being a single parent, raising him full time. And, and uh, of course, my parents were trying to help with that too because I was working, so my mom was helping. And so I kind of assumed I'd just be single and raise Alex, and that's what we do. And, and um, then I met Jen. And, uh, and so she really, I mean, strangely, she really changed my life. So... I mean, it's weird because normally you hear like the spouse is like, that's crazy. You've got a good job. We've got benefits. You're going to risk it all. Go do this. I was the guy saying that. This is crazy. And then we had a, well, I don't know if you know this, but I have a daughter as well, and she has special needs. So right in the middle, right as we were preparing to do all that, signing the deal and stuff, you know, we have this baby born 16 weeks early and all that kind of stuff. And uh, for me, it was like, okay, we're done. We got a good job, small town. We're locking this down. And for Jennifer, it was not that way. For her, it was, we're going to need to be in a town with a children's hospital. Alex needs a better high school. I mean, I love my hometown. It's our hometown. But, you know, Alex was not, you know, a football lineman. He was a, I mean, he was the kid that could quiz out of algebra one and two in sixth grade. That's who, and he liked that. He was great at it. And so I'm looking at that going, you know, at least I was angry enough as a kid that I could sort of, and smouthy enough that I could survive. But this kid's brilliant and kind. Maybe he needs a different educational opportunity than I had. You know, there's, there's greatness that comes from loving your environment, but also knowing how it was hard and shaped you. But there is another side that goes... I'm not sure every kid needs to be put through that. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like I, I understand what you're saying. Do I know what you mean? Not yet. Well, I, I think you'll be. I've read your book. I think you'll be a great dad. I mean, uh, because, but I'm not in charge of the scoring of dads. But, uh, but you know, you've got the heart for it. You, you, you want to do well, and it is amazing how it. You know, but, you, but I, I just. Anyway, that's how I got into this, was going back and forth. And then even after I signed my deal, even after the first song was on the radio, um, I was like, maybe maybe it's too big a jump. Because everybody out here is so great, you know, all these raw talent people, you know. And what was the first song that was on the radio for you? God's Will, with Martina McBride. I've been searching, wondering, thinking, lost in I feel like, man, my song's on the radio. Like, I, like what in the world? I was printing checks. Couldn't believe it. Did you make any money from the song? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that album sold a couple million copies, and that, that song got to number 16. And um, But for me, it was, you know, it was also a songwriting lesson because, you know, I, I wrote by myself, as I said, and so Reba caught a song of mine that I wrote by myself. Called? It was called Moving Olita. Moving yeah. Olita. Was the hardest thing he'd done. It's about your grandma? That's right. The nurses saw an old woman crying, but he saw the love of his life. She don't know where she is, but she knows this isn't home. Love is a hard, hard road. Still get you? It's amazing that she did it. Um, and again, I this shares a lot of the themes of the, a lot of the songs I've had recorded are that I didn't think anyone would record them. Um, in this case, it's it was so personal and so sad. It wasn't even supposed to have been played for the publisher. My friend Byron 
burned my Schedule A CD that you when you first sign a deal, they listen to all your songs. He just saw it in the folder and drug it over. So they called me from Nashville. I'm still in Kansas. And they said, hey, well, there's a song on here about an old woman. It's about halfway done. I had a verse and a chorus. And I was like, I'm not sure. It's called Moving Olita or something. And I was like, oh, that wasn't so sorry. That was not supposed to be on there. And they started, Chris Oglesby started laughing. He goes, that's the only one I like. I was like, ouch. And he was like, no, seriously. <laughs> you, yeah, you need to do, I mean, you it was respond, a full CD. You, you respond to things like I respond to things. Like someone tells you they like something, but you're like, but you hated the rest. You hated the rest. I saw uh, the Grammy special that was on, 60 Years of the Grammys. Do you see that? Stevie Wonder is on there. And they say, uh, they're talking about how many times he's sung on the Grammys, 20 sometimes. But he goes, yeah, it's been good to me and I want to, he's, he's, he's an older guy. And he's like, but I've never won Song of the Year. That's my goal. I'm going to try to win Song of the Year. He's won 25 Grammys. There was a period of four years in the 70s where he won Album of the Year three out of four years. Different albums. And But all he can think about is, I never won Song of the Year. <laughs> and it probably haunts the crap oh, out can of tell. him. Oh, you can tell. You can see his face. you don't get to that without having that in you. Good oh, or yeah. bad... That's the little engine that just that's pushes what you. That's what pushes you. That's that, it's those little things that burn you. They burn you. Yeah, that's true. Man. Yeah, so yeah, that. that's right. So anyway, we moved to Nashville after God's will. and uh, but, but I went, So after God's will, you moved to Nashville. Yeah, it was after. That was on the radio. And, but what I was going to say about the writing was, so I wrote Moving Alita, and I didn't think they should finish it, you know, should record it, demo it, but they, they had me demo it. And... Um, then um, Reba heard it and recorded it, and I'm super grateful. And that song then opened the door for Tom Douglas and I to write. I'd met him. We'd had coffee once, but I would, I'd never asked anybody to write because I always felt like that was pretty presumptive, and I still do for me. And uh, But um, we wrote, and it was all morning I was throwing every kind of clever thought that I thought was country. And then... He took me to lunch, which you know is the sign for you have failed. And um, so we went to lunch, and then we went. We came back. He goes, "Let's go in for a few more minutes. Is there anything else you've been thinking about?" And I said, "Well, this is not commercial, but I have this idea." And I talked about uh, this song called "God's Will." And I, I wrote these things in my journal, and blah blah blah. And he goes, "Could I see it?" And I just tore the pages out of my journal and spread them on the piano, and that's how we wrote that song. And and that was a big life lesson for me as a writer because all of a sudden I was like, okay, so this is, for me, I'm going to have to put myself out there to do this. To take your journal and just put it out there, that's yeah. about as vulnerable as you'd be. Yeah, and so I thought, okay, well, that's what this is going to be. That's going to be hard and because uh, I was pretty locked up. And I know I seem like a free spirit, bohemian kind of guy, but I was very locked up. And... Um, but so that was the beginning of that journey. And so now that's really, I do keep all my notes and my scribbles and my journals. And, and and it's worked the other way too, where like when we wrote with Catherine McPhee, you know, after a day or so together, the next day she sat down and opened her journal and we read it together. And, and so I've been really kind of blessed that artists kind of know I'm not, I'm on your team. You know, I'm, I'm here to help, you know. So what, I'm always, some of these songs, you know, weren't, massive like radio hits but that mm -hmm. I enjoy so I know you Steve Mo, you guys are both creative Steve Mokler I was just with him we were doing vocals this afternoon. one of the nicest guys he is the best guy yeah. and Gracie his wife oh, 
Like they're just they're good people, yes, right? Yes, they are. And so you guys were that's a guy who they haven't figured out what to do with yet. No. And when they and when they do, it's, gonna that's, work. it's trouble because yeah. he's, he's he's that good. He's got fans. He's got you know he's got the work ethic. He's, he's great. We wrote that. It's Luke Laird and Thomas Rhett and I wrote that. Yeah, I like Steve. He's a good guy. Him Never. and my co-host are like, or his wife and my co-host are like best friends. Okay. So, yeah. All right. Yeah. So let's see. I mean, we have, you have massive heads. I always tend to go away to song, like uh, day drinking for a little big time. <laughs> this is a monster, number one. Was this, this is the first song of that album, right? Like this is the... Uh, yeah. Pontoon was the first single off the one before it, and this was the first one off. Man, how but, um, easy is that when you get the first single both times? That's good. I was grateful. You know, the, and we... Like, there's no waiting around like, is it going to be a single? Like, when you get the first single off both records? We wrote this maybe a year before the album came out. We 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 thought, oh, we'll write with them and then we'll write some more with them. That's the only time I wrote with them for that record. And that song had to sit there for a year, you know. Did you feel like, as it was sitting there, that there was something to it or as, as sitting there the longer it goes the more it just kind of fades I was worried into I really was worried I mean they, they have so many great songs but but they kept saying that's what they were going to do and and I think they cut it a few times to get it you know I mean the demo it's very similar to the demo I mean which is rare normally Jay Joyce changes it drastically he certainly made it cooler but it's very close to the demo and we again you know uh, Troy had the title and uh when he said it, I kind of gave him the head nod, like, no, maybe not. And they were like, we love it. I was like, okay. <laughs> so he always teases me yeah, about like, that. It's so stupid. You like it? I love it, too. I love it. Yes, yes. And she whistled. She was on vocal. She was trying to give herself vocal rest during the week, you know. And so she did it. And I thought she wanted whistling in the song. So I swung the mic around, and we all whistled like crazy people. And later she was like, I was just trying to show you that melody that Troy had played. And I was like, oh. So I've been working on my listening skills, but how are they? Not so good. Not so good. <laughs> uh, so how about this one here? Michael Ray, think a little less. Who wrote this one? Uh, well, that's Thomas Rhett and uh, Jimmy Robbins and John Knight and myself. And, uh, wrote it on the bus. Um, on, on Thomas's bus. On Thomas's bus, as the first of his number ones was climbing, and so he wasn't there yet. Um, and um, wait, so as Thomas is going on, is he didn't have first number one, but he's paying for three riders on the road with them. Um, he just let us. Ride. We were all on one bus, and we all just sort of crammed in there. John Knight wasn't there. John and Jimmy had the. It started the little riff and the the title, and then um, then me and Thomas jumped on Tr. We jumped on it, and uh, and Tr's on. I, I have other songs with him. Uh, suitcase is another one that you wrote. With yeah. Him. yeah, and th- I think we were in. Uh, I feel like we were in Ohio, maybe in Columbus, Ohio, when we wrote that. And uh, so, did you? Was it like okay? Where's it going to go? When you wrote it, was it a TR song? We thought so. We we knew he was trying. They were trying to get him to get some sexy numbers, and so we thought, okay, sexy numbers, sexy numbers. <laughs> I take back everything I said about you being young <laughs> with your sexy numbers. All right, let's do some sexy numbers. Sexy. Three, two, one, and three. Last night I was watching that Burt Burns 
bang uh, thing, and the guy goes, it was so funky, it was so funky. That's a, I know exactly what I just sounded like. And uh, he was like 90. It was so funky. But we wrote it, and then he didn't cut it, so I thought, well, that's probably it. Four years to the week from when we wrote it, it went number one. Four years? Yeah, it sat there. It's crazy yeah. a song can last that long and still be cool. I couldn't believe it. Well, Michael Lee's voice. Scott Hendricks, I think, did it. Look at you. I was happy. Man, yeah. all your songs are great, like years later. It's just, it's like wine. <laughs> no, you write wine. Not all my songs are like that. I don't, not know yet, because they haven't been around long enough. <laughs> Maybe that's what your it songs is. Songs are like wine. Look I wrote mostly ballads the first few years, you know, because that's what I, you know how it is when whatever got you in the game, so to speak, just I think subconsciously, reinforcement wise, you're like, well, that must be the thing, you know, like. You wouldn't want to go to Barbara Streisand and say, this song, not the big note. I mean, she's going to do the big right. note. And that's what bought the house. And uh, so I was really, you know, I was killing a lot of people in my songs. And uh, <laughs> it was a high body count. You know, it was like a 90s rap album. And um, but we did. That's what I did. I wrote a lot of songs. And then <laughs> and then if I would write a fun song, we would turn it in. They'd be like, why are you doing that? You don't write the fun songs. You write the heavy songs. You're the, you're the pain magnet. You know, they would say stuff like that. So, yeah, okay. And then Pontoon hit. And then people would show up and go, what, you see like a summer song? It's like a fun song? It's funny, it's funny how quick you get put into these little categories <laughs> just automatically. Yeah, you're like, well, okay, I guess I am the, you know, the least fun guy in Nashville. I should write the summer songs. That's funny. So, You know, I just, I mean, I pretty much have your whole catalog here. That's not all good. You're right. You're right. Some of them, I'm just. I don't even. You're like. You don't even want to talk about. You're being nice. But like this song here, I love. I love when it was on Marin's because I'm Marin's EP. Yes. I listen to that EP and that record so much, I can't even, as the person who talks on the radio, I don't even know what the singles were from a record anymore. Because you just love the whole I, album. Because I love the mm-hmm. whole album so much. Yeah. That wasn't a single, was it? Or no. what? Okay, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. Love it. Yeah, she's great. And you yeah. wrote that with her before she was Marin Morris. Oh, yes, when absolutely. Was, when she was Marin Morris. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, and Natalie, I know, called her. I didn't call her, but I met her and, and heard her. And then I was like, okay, let's just write because she's just magic. And, and we wrote a lot of great songs. We wrote a lot of heavy songs and then a lot of fun songs. There was one about the summer that was fun. and But that one, you know, I feel like, and you did this on the morning. You make it fun. You make it easy. Get everybody comfortable because it'll, it'll go a lot better if everybody's as safe as you can make it. You know, and um, and and that's how we try to do our our rights. You know, is to try to get everybody loose and everybody knowing, hey, you can you can be wrong, you can make a mistake. If you want to play the shaker or the guitar and you're not a guitar player, that's okay. Let's just have a good time. And and then invariable when you start start doing that, somebody will say it'll it'll fly through the room and you'll see it. You know, and and that's a case where you know she made some comment about like drunk girls don't cry, and we were like. Yes, and she may have had that as a title, but it didn't. She didn't present it in a formal way, and we just chased it, you know. And it was fun. I remember her downstairs doing vocals on the work tape, and I would say, because she's such a good singer and she works so hard, and um, and I always wanted her to get to 
laugh and have more fun. And so I would be like, now sing it like your best friend in high school. Now sing it like, you remember the girl that was always mean to you? You never understood why. Sing it like her. And we would just, and she would change her voice. It was amazing. And then we played a show in London, a little one, like not, like she's played the big stage over there, but we were just doing a bluebird comes to sea to sea. And, um, and she really, you know, I, we almost did it, but we didn't. I've never played it out with her, but it'd be fun to hear her do it live, you know. A song that wasn't a number one, that if you would have asked me, I'd have bet it was, is this one from McGraw. Diamond rings and old bar stools. Like, that's a laster. It's, some songs are lasters, even though they didn't hit number ones. Hmm. This is a laster. It's awesome. Thank you. I guess some things just don't mix like you hope. Like me and you. And diamond rings and no bars. Where'd that one end up? Do you know? Three. Went to number uh, three. Not that fr- I was watching. How frustrating. Well, oh, how frustrating. <laughs> Is there a big difference in getting paid for a three and a one? Not really. Is there Once, a difference in a seven and a one? Yes, there is. Yeah, where where is kind of that th- five's the threshold? Five. To, they always say in the top five pays about the same. Yeah. But but below. But then it's different. You know, after that. Would you have? Because I'm fascinated. Because and then again, I have friends who are songwriters, and I'm not going to bring up real numbers. They tell me how much number one gets paid, right? Yeah. So they're like, hey, you, know, you split it up by the time you. you, you right. Blah, blah. The difference between think a little less. Kiss a little more. Which is a number one country radio, yeah. and girls chase boys, which is in a different format, different format. and is getting played all. You, which which song did you make more money off of? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, I'm going to say probably girls chase boys because it did cross. It didn't go into the top twenty on top forty, but because it crossed to top forty, if it had just stayed on. Uh, adult or like whatever. Hot AC. Hot AC. Yeah. It, it would not make as much as a country song, but but it crossed over and and it played on Hot AC up into the top two or three, and so it it did really well there. And it's only a three way, so that has a huge factor. Day drinking is a a five way, I think. No, no, a, f- a four way. I mean, we count. I mean, when you get yeah. that many people five in a room, it's a five. It's a five way. Yeah, five people are day drink because it. Yeah. How many of Little Big Town are day drinking? Uh, everybody but Kimberly. I remember telling the story. She was was she like cooking in another room or something? Or she had like a TV show when she did. She was doing some maybe TV that's show the, stuff. that's the cooking probably she yeah. was doing. Was yeah, her I TV think she show? had a thing for that or oh. the book. Or, and and you know I've with Luke Troy and I have written with the whole band, which is that's a logistic you know thing. I like when we write with the Osborne Boys. Troy and I will will write with them as a four way, and it's really worth it because Troy's so guitar. He's great. Troy Virgis is, you know, he's just a pro. But, but he can shift over with John and inspire John, and I can work with TJ, and then we can glue it all together. But so, uh, speaking of you and Tr writing together, didn't you, didn't Tr write this? Is that true? Yes. Yeah. Yep. It's Aldi nineteen ninety four. I mean, come on, Joe, 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 dip it. Yeah. Did Luke talk about it? I, I I heard part of his podcast, but I didn't hear it all. So I don't, yeah, I don't know. It you was Luke Laird and me and Thomas Rhett, and we spent all. This happens a lot, you know. 
the first several years I was here, you know, you'd show up and I'd sit down with you and, and we would come up with a title and we would outline the song and then we would write it and we would spend all day staring at the ceiling and there'd be a lot of that behavior. And I'm not against that. But Luke, I think, is the master of kind of going, look, we're recording everything we're doing. If you and I are working on something and all of a sudden we have another idea that we both go, oh, and look at, just save what you have and chase it. It's okay. And um, so we'd spend all day on a very serious idea, much like Diamond Rings. We'd spend all day on some other thing. And about that 3 o'clock time, um, we kind of had that feeling like, None of us really knows what we want to do with this song. I'm not sure we're in love with this song. Nobody wants to say it, but everybody kind of feels like, I think we've wasted our day. And um, But then we didn't leave, so we wrote Diamond Rings. Well, the same thing happened here. We'd been working on a real serious song about something, God and country music or something like that. And um, it's like 3 o'clock, and Thomas is a worker. Again, you talk about a guy who just goes. And um, so Luke called up a loop. And um, Thomas just started kind of singing along. And all of a sudden I said, did you say 1994? And Luke had on a flannel with a T-shirt that had Tracy Lawrence on it, face shirt. He goes, Tracy Lawrence, 1994, like that. And I said, Guns N' Roses, or Nirvana, 1994. And so then Thomas Rhett goes, my dad was out on the radio in, in 1994. And so we were like, what would that be, 1994? Mark Chestnut, Joe Diffie. And one of those guys went, Joe Joe Diffie. And then the other one was like, let me see you Diffie. And I'm like, well, the real Joe Diffie, please stand up. And we're just laughing, having fun, joking around. And we're like, throw something down. You know, we start writing. And he threw down a verse. And then we had wrote the little chorus. Second verse obviously didn't take very long. And, um, and then it was kind of the end of the day. Luke went to a thing. I put some bass on it, mixed it out, sent it to TR. That night, T.R. sends it to his dad. His dad plays it for Joe Diffie. And that was a Friday. And so on Monday, we're in the studio, Luke and I, demoing songs. And he goes, hey, i got to leave at lunchtime. I'm supposed to go up to ASCAP and play songs for, for uh, Jason Aldean and Michael Knox. And they'd only invited, you know, just a few brand name, you know, writers up there. And um, so he left. And when he came back, he goes, you won't believe it. I was like, what? He goes, they like Joe Diffie. And I was like, wait a minute, Joe Diffie, like from Friday? He was like, well, I went in and they said they need something, different tempo, something with a loop on it. It's kind of different. And I thought, because I'd had, by that point, I'd probably had 18 Aldine Holtz. I'd been hammering away because I saw Aldine's voice and the way he is, I saw it as a way to have Southern lit, you know, in a country. So I was sending all these. I was being as important as I possibly could and um, sending it over there. And um, I'm like, wait a minute, what? And he was like, I played it, just a little work tape. And they were like, play it again. I played it again. They were like, I think I'm going to cut that. Play it again. He played it three times in that room. And I was like, there's no way. And then they did, and they rocked it out and everything. And so so yeah. the guy who wrote God's Will is known for <laughs> Pontoon in 1994. <laughs> It's a little different, isn't it? And Drunk Girls Don't Cry. Yeah. You want to know my, yeah. my favorite of all your songs? Yes. I know you do. I do. Of I course I do. do. Yeah. You know, it's a little tune. Near and dear to my heart. Oh, no. This is going to be bad. No, it's not bad at all. A little song you wrote. Here we go. By the way, hey, by the way, hey, guess who's going out tonight? <laughs> by the way, hey, by the way, hey, guess who's going out 
Lindsay L, by the way. Yeah, she's, she's so talented. Lindsay was one of the ones, too, that were like, is like, because Lindsay and I dated for a long time. Yes. And uh, we're still very close. And she was like, you're going to love Barry Dean. Oh, good. She was oh. like, hey. some people come in and it's a warm up. It's like, hey, let's see. We'll just talk about music for a second until we kind of get the feel. And, you know, some of them go and you talk. But she was like, when Barry comes in, it's over. Like, you guys, you're the same. You're just the same. You're going to love. And she was like, by the way, he, I think you, uh, her, you Luke Laird, and maybe uh, some, who else wrote I think it's the three of us. Yeah. Uh, so Lindsay, no. no, I don't think did Lindsay write. I don't think Lindsay wrote by the no, way. No, she? she's not on that issue. Yeah. Is, uh, that, was that a female? God, I don't. It has to be a female. It can't just be you and Luke throat. No, by the way, no, no, no. Because if somebody, it's just you and Luke throat, by no, the way, no, and I'm embarrassed. I there, I should know off the top of my head. It's right. okay. It only went to like forty. Yeah. So no, that's not the why. It, it, it was Lindsay. Yeah. It was Lindsay. Okay. Oh, Lindsay's gonna right. kill me. That didn't yeah. think she wrote the song. Yeah, I thought it was. I guess when she said you wrote it. Huh, how about that? Well, anyway, this is my favorite song. That's nice. Thank you very yeah, much. Yeah, yeah. And you know, we 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 hoped it would get cut, and then it didn't on the first round, and then she went back in and cut it, and we were really happy about that. And I, It got a raw deal. That, that song got a really raw deal. Well, you champion a lot of people, and we appreciate it. I mean, because we're cheering for the artist. We're excited. I wasn't even dating her. her then. No, I don't know. Like zero, yeah. there was nothing. And I was just like, that's such a catchy fun song we thought that's all he needed to see was her smiling and how incredible she is and that's gonna work her record label sucked it was bad. I mean it's bad and I said it on mm-hmm. the air and, mm-hmm. and again they I think they've now kind of found what she is and it's like let her go be her yes. instead of trying to make her this little pop prince which she's not yeah that's she's, right she's, a, she's from Calgary Canada which is like the country party Canada mm-hmm. with like some rock and roll guitar yeah, and let her do her thing. But at the time, do it. Yeah. you know, it was like let's put her in a, a soda shop and and fluff her hair and whatever they suck. Wink. Anytime it's winking, I have trouble with it. Like pretending, you know, oh, wink, wink. Come like, on, look at us. We're, yeah. you know, I, I, I no winking here. <laughs> no winking. We are who we are. That's but no, funny. she says uh, wonderful things about well, you. Please tell her I said hi. She, yeah. She'll probably hear this because I won't tell her about it and she'll listen. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, she's and, wonderful. And she's gonna get pissed. That I didn't know she wrote this song. I. Well, you know you what I'm thinking of? Shut, she didn't write "Shut Me Up," which was one of oh, the right. songs. Yes. that's the too confusing. Yeah. So, well, let's see. I don't know if I have anything. Any other song? Did you have you seen the? Um, did you watch wrestling at all as a kid? Not that much. No, You're not, from like the South. You don't I know watch wrestling. That, yeah, now, you know Luke Laird. I, I know you guys bonded yeah. over that. And did he tell you what I got him for when when I had my first number one, which was Pontoon? It was his tenth number one, and he's one of my, he's my best friend, and uh, so he loves Hulk Hogan, as you know. It's the only time I've ever seen him nervous. When, was gonna meet when he met Hulk yeah. out and uh, Terry? Is that his name? Yeah, Terry, uh, Terry Bull. Yeah, we were down in Key West and. Um, but I arranged for uh, for his Christmas present. You know, Hulk got the first belt, and then he had one made in 85, and then it was stolen and never has been found. And then he had a new one from 86 to 93. I didn't know all this stuff. I just thought, I'm going to get him a Hulk belt. That'll be great. Well, it's harder than you think. And then I had to do the research because I deep dive on weird things. And, and so the next thing I know, I'm hiring Reggie the King of Belts, who made all the belts for those for those guys, and saying, I want one made just like... Hulk's 85 but I wanted to say songwriter of the year because that year he was a BMI and I want to list instead of the bouts I want to list the 10 number ones in their years so I think it's the only time I've ever actually impressed Luke Lair uh, he stuck his <laughs> hand in he felt around in the present he could tell it was a belt and then he pulled it out and then he was really surprised they're very heavy 
We should arrange for you to check it out. I mean, it probably weighs 30 pounds. That's funny. The Luke, Luke's interesting because he came in and I was like, and, I, and again, I've gotten to know Luke a little more since this, mm-hmm. but I was like, Luke was miserable. And he, and, oh, yeah. he, and he wasn't. And I had to reach out to Beth and be like, hey, uh, no, did just... Luke hate everything that just <laughs> happened? It's like, no, we had a fantastic time. Well, you're always, I hear you always saying, well, I, was, I wouldn't have come up and talked to you. Well, we would be the same oh, way I would with never you. Talk to, I would never talk to any of you guys. I would always be like, oh, no, that, that's. We'd be the same way with you. You know that. Because it's, it, we just, it's that until you do, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh. If I were to see Luke now, jump and hug, I'd hug his neck. Like yeah. I would go up and, but at the time I was like, this guy hates my guts. And he has nothing. <laughs> And I was so just with Luke. That's I was so true. amazed. I was like, "Dude, like you, like I love hip hop." Yeah. Oh, he loves it. He loves. Oh gosh. Like I was just, I could have done a whole, you know, you show talking about that. And so he took a tour up in New York where they had the old somebody from the original early days giving you a tour of hip hop locations. Uh, I, I have him send you there because he had a ball. You should do that. That's something I could enjoy. So I'm trying could, to figure out what I'm going to get. See, I don't have family, so it's like, what am I going to do on vacation? Maybe I, I'm not going to New York, though. It's too cold. Maybe I'll do that in, like, summer. That's perfect. Yeah, do it, like, early summer before it gets too hot. Maybe i go to, like, go Afghanistan or something. Because, you know, <laughs> go like, over just there. get out of my comfort zone completely. Just, yeah, that would do it. That like, would be, hop over to Syria. You could USO it. Just, no, no, no. Stay completely unsafe. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, just fly. No, no, no. No USO. Like, if I'm, I'll do USO. Again, yeah, but I'm talking about just go, just and, go, and just, just go, and just be I like, know. here I am, here I am, wrapped in an American flag with a Kid Rock T-shirt on, <laughs> big Target, he's like, what up, baby, USA, big Target, and some firecrackers. Says, my, my therapist says, get out of my comfort zone. There's no less That'll comfort than hopping in the Middle East That'll with a big old American flag. Takes all the comfort right out of it. Oh, yeah, <laughs> walking across the desert <laughs> takes all the comfort. You're right. Uh, I really appreciate it. You coming by the house? Thank you for letting me do this. This is great. I'm sorry we had to we moved it. You know what? Point. Well, here's the pro- thing. It wasn't a problem. You had a bluebird deal, right? That mm-hmm. you had committed to. Yeah, surprise. You can't hate on a bluebird. No, I was embarrassed. I some an older gentleman in our in our church. He texted me. On you know that Monday night, hey, thinking about trying to get into your Wednesday show at the Bluebird, and I thought, oh, darn it, he's not reading the calendar right. You know, he's older, oh, and I look on there, and there's my name. I was like, oh god, <laughs> can't, hate the, can't hate the Bluebird. Can't hate on the Bluebird. Well, I appreciate you coming by. Thank you for letting me be. You got here. a cool. You got a cool story. Anything you need, let me know. One that I try to write something you like. Yeah, write me something I like. I'll write you something you like. Yeah, write me something I like and send, send it over. All right. uh, Barry Dean, and uh, are you on the old Insta Twitters? I am. Yeah, I, I, they changed me. I'm now. I'm the. I'm, I'm a the. I'm Mister. It's a, why, wait. Why can't you be Barry Dean? Is there already a There's already a Barry Dean. I was called Country Paper at first. Oh, you had a name that wasn't Barry. Dean yeah, and they made all. me Barry. Dean. I asked to be just Barry Dean, but they said I had to be the Barry Dean. So now I'm the Barry Dean. I've tried to get Bobby Bones. And some guy that has like 80 followers doesn't <laughs> no. even tweet or Instagram. Like, does nothing. And I can't no. have it. No, that's all right. And I know I can't be a squatter and just roll into town and take over the neighborhood. But still. But still. <laughs> I've offered him money for it. And he won't do it. My show for a birthday present, get pulled their money and offered him money for it. They won't do it. If anyone out there can get that, he lives in Virginia Beach, too, which is the, one of the markets that I'm in. And I'm guessing people call him Rob. Probably. They probably, uh, Roberto Hueso. Rob- he probably has, <laughs> is using the Spanish name. 
Uh, well, it's, uh, right. it, it's, it's been really good to hang out with you and meet it's you. Great. Thanks for having me. Episode 90. And like you said before, we got going here. That's a lot of episodes. That is a lot. You followed Chris Stapleton. I know. Wow. No, hey, no pressure. No pressure. We got a lot of subscribers. I've written Chris with Stapleton. that guy. I've written with that guy. Tim McGraw cut one of our songs, but didn't make the record. You know, a lot of people have been like, man, not a lot, some. My friends have been like, yeah, I write with Chris back in the good old days. And the days seem to get better now. Now, the bigger he gets, the better the times were with him. Because back in the day, I was like, yeah, Chris has got a song out. Yeah, we can we write this? Yeah, it's good. I wrote with the Courtyard Hounds, you know, the Dixie Chicks mm-hmm. and, and the Courtyard Hounds. And without Natalie. Without Natalie, right. they call the Courtyard Hounds. And we're writing. And the next day, they, they say, hey, we're getting ready to write with this guy tomorrow Chris Stapleton it was before he had obviously become the Chris Stapleton and uh, I was like oh my gosh she was just in here the other day he is and I listed Morgan and how amazing she is how amazing he is everything about him and I said also I don't know if you know this, but he sings it's so loud but it's so controlled but it's powerful he was upstairs with Luke last week and nothing else in the building it, you know and we didn't mind because it was amazing but you know he was singing it the next day, I run into him at lunch, and Chris goes, "Hey, man, uh, they told me you said I sing really loud." <laughs> That's it. That's the only part That's of everything. I give an hour of why he's amazing, and all they told him was, "Yeah, Barry said you sing really loud." <laughs> that was great. <laughs> okay. All right, we're out. Uh, if you see Barry, tell, uh, tell him I said hello. Cool to tell you. All right, we'll see you next time, everybody. Episode ninety.